My name is Lex, and this week on Spidey Signals, me and my co-host Alex discuss the final six episodes of Greg Wiseman and Victor Cook's The Spectacular Spider-Man, George Lucas's Rhino-Man, and the ethics of cartoon child murder. Get ready to bring justice to us all, because it's time for Spidey Signals. Welcome back to Spidey Signals, the podcast where two guys with the same name talk about Spider-Man. I'm Lex. And I'm Alex. Uh, Last week, we watched the first half of this final season of The Spectacular Spider-Man, which, again, we keep saying this every time, but uh, we thought it was good. Oh, yeah. And that, that has not changed with the finale here. Oh yeah, it it hasn't changed, but uh, it's it's certainly something. We'll uh, we'll get into it. We sure will. Let's just jump right in. We've uh, today we are discussing the final six episodes of the spectacular Spider-Man. Uh, these episodes were released from October seventh to November eighteenth of two thousand nine. The series was created by Greg Wiseman and Victor Cook. These episodes were directed by Jennifer Coyle, Kevin Altieri, Mike Gogan, and Victor Cook. And they were written by Andrew Robinson, Nicole Dubbock, Kevin Hopps, and Greg Wiseman. Uh, as for our cast, we've got Josh Keaton as Peter Parker slash Spider-Man, Lacey Chabert as Gwen Stacy, Alana Uback, I think I'm saying that right, I have no clue, uh, as Liz Allen, Joshua Labar as Flash Thompson, Trisha Helfer as the Black Cat, Nikki Cox as Silver Sable, James Arnold Taylor as Harry Osborn, Alan Rations as normal as normal as Norman Osborn. I'm something of a normal myself. I'm something of a normie myself. <laughs> and uh, Steve Bloom as the Green Goblin thunderous applause for me here it's it's been these last six episodes have been a lot Mm -hmm. uh but again as usual for this this particular set of episodes we don't have any personal experiences so alex do you want to just jump right into the plot of these last six episodes absolutely i do uh and it's some really solid stuff here uh we'll get right into it we begin with uh, the eighth episode of the second season, uh, Accomplices, uh, which begins with uh, Black Cat breaking into uh, Manhattan High Rise, as she is wont to do, effortlessly making her way past uh, various security measures, lasers and such. 80, and- 80 million lasers. There's like so many fucking lasers in this one like a conference room. Easily the most lasers we've seen in one room here. And that's saying something about the show. I don't think I've ever seen more lasers in a single room since like the Resident Evil movie hallway that like we're talking that level of lasers. Yeah, it's it's pretty excessive, which turns out to uh, not matter a terrible amount, because just as she's about to claim her her target, her prize, she is caught by a group consisting of Hammerhead, Doc Ock, the Vulture, Hatch, Roderick Kingsley, and Donald Minkin of Oscorp, uh, quite quite the assembly of of douchebags here. 
We got Roderick Kingsley, who was only going to show up in this episode and then never for the rest of the series. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Uh, I love anything to do with Minkin in this show. And there there will be some more Minkin stuff later because, like, I forget he's a character all the time. And he's like, there was a point in this in this run of episodes where Osborne says something like really important to Minkin on the phone. And you hear Minkin like repeat it back, like uh, expository stuff. And I found myself wondering, why does Norman tell this random guy all this stuff? And then I remembered he was Minkin. <laughs> Yeah, he's just he's he happens like he's Norman Osborn's right hand man. It's like, oh, he's just yeah. there a lot. It's great. he just looks like a guy. That's his problem. He doesn't have a distinct. He doesn't have, you know, Norman Osborn's waves. He doesn't have a it's distinctive panache. look about him. So we have this this assortment of of evil doers, uh, not good guys hanging around who who catch Black Cat in the process of trying to steal this MacGuffin. Uh, she's ushered, escorted away. And I think it's it's super fucking weird that they just let her go. Yeah, and she's like, what? They're like, what are you doing here? And she's like, oh, I didn't know this was uh, an auction going on. And she just kind of leaves. Just, and that's the thing is she's just let go and they just usher her out the door. Nobody checks to see if she's like still hanging around or about to break in again or what. And she doesn't either to like my recollection she's just out of the picture here I, that's a super weird way to open the episode but whatever it's not the weirdest it's I guess just that, i guess that that saying about no honor among thieves uh it's not as true as they say it is yeah right they could at least let her bid uh <laughs> polite hammerhead uh as i said escorts black cat out no fuss and minkin announces that bidding will begin soon on this mysterious prize uh, the final bidder to arrive to this uh, meeting is Sable Manfredi, uh, the daughter of notorious crime boss Silvio Silvermane Manfredi, uh, which is a bit of a deviation from the comics, but I have some trivia about that later, so we won't get too deep into that right now. Yep. Uh, who is an acquaintance of Hammerhead's. Uh, from there, bidding begins with Hammerhead and Sable matching pace for the most part, uh, throwing out some seriously high numbers to get this whatever it is. Uh, Patch pathetically tries to bid one cent above Sable, which I thought was an actual like solid comedy bit. Like, what the fuck, one penny? It's great. Secure the bag. Uh, Kingsley, however, shoots too high with his bid. Uh, it exceeds the amount deposited in his or any of the bidder's accounts at this very moment in time. And the auction is put on hold until the following evening so that the bidders can put more money into their accounts. It, the pacing here is really funny to me at the very end because the guy straight up just like hits the gavel and was like, all right, we'll reconvene tomorrow. And everyone is dressed like in fucking tuxedos and, and really good stuff. It's like, bitch, you know how much crime I had to put aside today to be here dressed like this tomorrow? <laughs> Dr. Octopus is dressed up in his nice fancy suit. He looks like a fucking vampire and I love it. Oh my god, that where I have a note. I straight up have a note for that. I think uh, for episode ten, uh, like this, or obviously going to get into this later, but I might as well talk about it right now. In that episode, they're having another like gang meeting, and Doc Ock is there, and he's wearing like a straight up fucking like Dracula cape with like the big collar and like the red trim. It's fucking so stupid. I love it. Doc Ock rules. Um. From there, we get a scene at Midtown High with uh, Captain Stacy giving a seminar on the importance of partnering. Uh, once again, subtly, hint not really subtly at all, hinting, quote unquote, hinting that he knows Peter's secret. I love that in this show. Um, 
I, I like Captain Stacy and Peter's dynamic and most representations of it. Actually, again, for everything we've said, Dennis Leary was one of my favorite parts of that uh, first amazing movie. But yeah, this, De- this... Dennis Leary was like the best part of the first amazing movie. Oh, for sure. Um, he was so and... he was so good. We cut to an audio clip of him <laughs> in the middle of our discussion of the final fight sequence. That's how good he is. Yeah, that crazy bastard loved his Branzino. <sighs> uh, once again, uh, you know, not so subtly talking about Peter's secret right to his face, which is always fun. Uh, Harry and Peter have a great little interaction regarding Peter's new Osbury phone, which I hate saying with my mouth. I like how either I think maybe in the first episode we did of, of Spectacular, we talked about how like there's not a whole lot of uh, anything that would like tie it down to a certain era or, or time period, except mm. for fucking Osbury. It's great. It's, it's really great. This was like, like this, this, if this had been made one year later, it would have been called like the I something, you know, they like, would have, they would it have been been called like the O phone or something. There you go. Exactly. Precisely. This is, this is the period when the iPhone is still like, like a new thing and like, like very still trying to hold on to its market. Dominance. One single, one single person I knew with an iPhone in 2009. So yeah, that tracks. Yeah. Uh, Harry's initially excited, but uh, gets bummed when he learns that Norman personally gave the phone to Peter. Another great little, oh, wow, your dad loves me moment. Uh, Harry leaves a little dejectedly, and Liz shows up and reminds Peter that they are going out to dinner that evening, which Peter completely forgot. Rather, he uh, promised Fred Foswell of the Bugle that he would drop by after school, but he's going to try to be on time this time for this date. Liz is fully aware and confident that Peter will be late for this, but will consider it a victory if Peter actually shows. Uh, At the Bugle, Jameson is in the process of refusing to run Foswell's story on the auction and uh, Silvermane's intention to use it to reestablish his power base after getting out of jail. Uh, That's when Peter arrives. Uh, Foswell apparently won a Pulitzer, which I thought was a fun little throwaway line. Uh, on his Silvermane expose about 12 years prior, which presumably helped get Silvermane behind bars. But uh, Jameson claims that all Foswell has done since then is get lazy with his journalism. Uh, Has a brief encounter with Peter on his way out, uh, dejectedly telling him that there may not be a story here to take pictures of. But eventually Peter does uh, coerce Foswell into saying that pictures would possibly change Jonah's mind. Uh, all the while, of course, just an excuse to get some Spider-Man shit done. Uh, I love it. It's good stuff. Peter being a good oh, yeah. guy. Um, the auction resumes without Patch, as his employer withdrew all the money from his bidding account. Not suspicious or anything. Uh, Patch leaves the building and is spotted by Peter, only for Pete to be shocked when Patch reveals himself to be Foswell. In a fun twist that we kind of briefly touched on, uh, I think a few episodes ago, we brought Patch up for the first time. Yeah, we we we, we talked about it earlier because uh, Patch is a, a character from the old uh, Lee Ditko run that I remember. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, it's it's Frederick Foswell's secret identity that he uses to get in in on the ground floor of crime. Mm, fun stuff. Bugle investigative journalism. That's fun. Take that, Jimmy Olsen, you bastard. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> Uh, while he was inside, Foswell managed to put a bug on Minkin, and uh, he and Peter listen in for a bit. <clears throat> Foswell very comfortable with including a 15-year-old in this espionage, by the way. 
Uh, Foswell thinks that Silvermane's release from jail is going to result in a major gang war between uh, Silvermane's more traditional mob, the big man's current uh, crime empire, and Doc Ock's new wave of super criminals and mercenaries, which is kind of like the overarching tissue that connects this final season, uh, rather this final half of this season of episodes, is, is this all this gang war talk. Um, the auction prize turns out to be of some real significant importance. It is the specs to mass-produce the Rhino's armor, uh, which would give the owner the means to create an army of super mercenaries that presumably would be just impossible to stop. One Rhino is something, but, you know, upwards of hundreds to thousands of Rhinos. You know, we're into the Rhinoverse now. <laughs> the real question is, what, does do those plans, like, solve the the sweating issue that fucked up the original Rhino? I don't, I, don't, I feel like it wouldn't. That's there's a computer fan shortage in this world now instead of graphics cards because they took millions of them to cool down all the rhino soldiers. Good God. The uh, the bidding continues and eventually Kingsley wins with a bid of a mere five hundred million dollars, which like I get that that's not an insignificant amount of money. That's a that's a considerable fucking amount of money. It's half a billion dollars. But like. I don't know. I feel like that's low for like unstoppable army and control of all of New York when you consider Disney bought Star Wars for eight times that amount. I guess that's true. <laughs> I, I I hate that that's how I am, but that's what I use in my head as like a metric for big business deals is, OK, well, George Lucas got four billion dollars for Star Wars. He could have had eight times the Rhino army that Kingsley could have had. Rhino cool. army or Star Wars? Hmm. I want to build an army of rhino men. No, I'm gonna put them. I want to put them in my movie. I'm gonna put my army of rhino men in my movie. It's so it's so dense. Every frame has so many rhino men. <laughs> I would actually watch it too. That's the fucking sad part. Every character uh, is just a rhino man. Peter uh, wonders what Kingsley, who is uh, by all reports a perfume manufacturer, uh, has to do with all of this. Uh, Mencken tells Kingsley that he can pick up the specs at a Tribeca warehouse on Hudson. Peter leaves to go get a good spot for these pictures while Foswell calls the police, uh, quote unquote, get a good spot for pictures. Uh, the exchange is made and the police arrive like in fucking seconds immediately. The most prompt response from cops ever. Um, causing Spider-Man to muse that he might just, you know, make this date after all. Just as a helicopter comes in and begins uh, bombarding Kingsley and the police with gunfire and missiles uh, at a fucking warehouse district place. Totally inconspicuous. Lots of noise. Um, Spider-Man attempts to subdue the helicopter, but is kicked off by Sable, uh, the aforementioned daughter from the auction, uh, also known as the Silver Sable uh, in a super cool mercenary outfit. Uh, I've only I'm only briefly and like in broad strokes familiar with Silver Sable. So I can't speak to whether or not this is a decent adaptation of her character or not, but she's fun enough in the episode or two that she's in here. All I know about Silver Sable comes from the, the Spider-Man PS4 game mm -hmm. uh, that she's in. I haven't read, I've read like no comics that involve Silver Sable. She's not really in the show very much, uh, mm -hmm. but it seems, it seems, you know, adequate for me. Uh, but yeah, they, they changed her, her backstory in the show and the, in the comics, she's like, uh, 
the she's like a member of like a royal family or something of some of like a an Eastern European country, one of those special Marvel Eastern European countries that only exist mm-hmm. in comic books. Uh, and her name's like Silver Sablanova. Uh, but they changed it here, and uh, you know it works. Well, uh, yeah. my favorite part about Silver Sable in this show is that she has a big like rifle, and you're like, okay, so she's like got a gun, but then it starts shooting staples out of it, like a, like yeah. huge staples. I have it in my notes and my synopsis that I wrote. Uh, the brief parts I have here is she has a quake nail gun that she fights Peter with. And 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 it, this this these last this gang war, uh, little three episode arc, just has made me realize that there's not even like any real guns in this show. They're all like weird laser guns, I guess, to make it more kid friendly. Sometimes they look like they have a silencer on it, kind of. Well, you know what? Now that I think about it, Miles Warren had a straight up fucking revolver in the back of no, his My- pocket. I, th- I think it's Miles. Miles Warren had a straight up revolver, and uh, the guy who killed Uncle Ben, who we will talk mm-hmm. about later. Uh, you know, he had Miles, a real gun. If he had fired that revolver, it probably just would have been a laser revolver, too, because he's a science man. But like the gun that Tombstone gets in episode 10 is like a laser Tommy gun. It's so. Funny. Yeah, it's it's very distinctly like, you know, orange cap on the end, family friendly violence. But I'll take it. Whatever. Whatever. Who cares? You know what? They do fire a Gatling gun at Rhino later, and he's the only bulletproof character in the entire fucking thing. So, of course, you got to riddle him with bullets, too, right? It works. <clears throat> uh, Sable leaps from the helicopter and attempts to claim the specs from Kingsley, only for uh, Hammerhead to show up and attempt to do the same. This is, you know, very hot ticket here. Uh, Hammerhead proves to be a pretty decent fighter, and uh, we get a fun little nod to the steel plate in his skull. That is his namesake here. Uh, the humor is always good in this show i i was like i've said in past episodes i was really apprehensive about going into this uh you know kids show humor in mind but i it's great uh they're they're never over the top to the point where i like go oh god there's maybe one or two moments like the flash thompson donkey head thing and and the earlier episode this season but uh, yeah that it's never gratuitous i like the steel plate thing it's funny yeah, the the quip the quips have been really fun, especially later on uh, when uh, Spider Man ends up fighting the Rhino and he throws the the cone on his his uh, horn. He's like, "What do I win?" <laughs> yeah, I have it's, a note about that too. I love it. I guess it's I guess it's easier because there's only two seasons of this show, but it's it's kind of remarkable how like consistent uh, the writing in this show has been. Definitely, for sure, it definitely has that like creator stamp on it, where there's a small number of voices here. Yeah. <clears throat> As uh, Spider-Man continues to interfere, uh, we get a little revelation that Sable and Hammerhead used to be a romantic item, and they decide to team up again very briefly to kill Spider-Man. This doesn't work, however. Spider-Man manages to get the better of them uh, through this fight, only to discover at the end of it, once everybody is subdued, that the case containing the specs is empty. And Kingsley somehow managed to fool everyone and get away with the uh, pertinent data inside. Get tricked. It does not, however, take long for the Rhino to find him at the parking garage where he is, uh, having been alerted ahead of time to the situation by Doc Ock. Uh, Rhino, his motivation here is really cool. He doesn't like the idea of there being more of him. He wants to be the only Rhino, which I, I don't know. There's something about that I like in this in this colorful world of Spider-Man villains. He wants to be the only giant gray Rhino man. It's really good. I wonder. I, 
I wonder if it's because he just wants to be the strongest guy or if it's because he doesn't want anybody else to be stuck in a huge suit like he is. Maybe he's embraced his rhino identity. I don't know. I don't know. Um, of, of course, you know, everyone else shows up here to fight. Uh, Hammerhead and Sable kind of fight each other for a bit as well. Uh, Spider-Man goes after Rhino. And eventually, Spider-Man realizes that the Rhino doesn't want the specs uh, leaking. They, they they make that bridge together. We know that, but, you know, Spider-Man didn't. Uh, they propose a brief team up there, which is incredibly funny to me. Uh, this Rhino and this Spider-Man teaming up. It's just, it's really solid stuff. Uh, it's funny. Uh, especially after Flint Marcos kind of heel turn earlier this season. It's, it's refreshing to see other sides of these characters. Yeah. Uh, Rhino agrees and begins tearing the garage apart in order to bring Hammerhead and Sable down to their level. Uh, the, the data chip thing, whatever it's stored in, it, it changes hands a few more times over the course of all this until eventually and, the Rhino. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. And one thing that, that I found was really funny during this, this whole uh, squabble over who's going to get the, the, the package uh, is when. <laughs> When Sable is like, I need this for my daddy because he's getting out of prison. Like, I love how, like, petty the gang war is. It's just about, like, a Absolutely. bunch of people who are, like, really fucking insecure. They're like, I want to be the biggest man. Yeah, if, if this was the actual level of, like, high organized crime New York had to deal with, it'd be very, very easy to handle, it's, I think. It's so funny. You just need a decent therapist, that's all. You don't need all those cops. It's, it's just, it's so good. Uh, the Rhino eventually gets control of the situation and gets the MacGuffin and destroys it, crushing it under his uh, giant... Do Rhinos have hooves? What the fuck do Rhinos have? Feet? Feet. I don't know. Uh, Feet. <laughs> he then promptly turns on Spider-Man, like partnership immediately dissolved. I hate Spider-Man. All my homies hate Spider-Man. Uh, Sable and Hammerhead get out of Dodge. The place begins to crumble. Uh, it's not looking good. Eventually, the garage does collapse on top of both Spider-Man and the Rhino, who cleverly, you know, orchestrated this collapse in the first place. Uh, the police arrive and use knockout gas to subdue the Rhino, while Spider-Man makes his way out of the rubble. Another fantastic Captain Stacy, quote-unquote, subtle hint, uh, telling Spider-Man that he tells his students it never hurts to have somebody watch their back. Great bow on the episode there. Uh, Minkin, meanwhile, informs Kingsley over the phone that his bid cannot be refunded, as securing the merchandise was his responsibility, so goodbye, half billion. Uh, Minkin then turns from there and tells Norman that everything went according to plan. This was all Norman's doing. Uh, he, Norman himself reveals that the, the chip with everything in it was fake in the first place, apparently. Uh, therefore, he now has half a billion dollars in an unmarked account and the specs to use as he sees fit or don't. So in the end, uh, everything's coming up Norman. It's uh, a real fuck you, Norman wins episode. Great stuff. Oh, yeah. Uh, Peter, now out of his Spider-Man garb, shows up at Liz's place very, very late. Too, too late to go out, even. But Liz is just glad that Peter at least showed up. Um... Peter remarks that he doesn't deserve her and wants to get to the point where he can. And Liz agrees, but uh, says they're going to work on it. Peter leaves thinking to himself how cool Gwen is before mentally correcting himself to Liz. The poor boy is predictable as ever. 
And at the Bugle, Jameson is still refusing to run Foswell's story on the auction, preferring to run an additional Spider-Man smear story for teaming up with the Rhino. Uh... Peter arrives and, you know, has pictures of everything and convinces Jameson to run the story, ending on what is not only a Norman Wins episode, but almost a Peter Wins episode with the, the story being run. But yeah, that that concludes this first episode of the this episode. Uh, I liked it a lot. Good stuff. Um, it's good. I, I wish we got more of that kind of rhino sort of heel turn thing, but I, I think they did enough of it, especially with as evil as they made Doc Ock in this show. Uh, just solid stuff. Uh, taking us to, uh, episode nine, probable cause, which begins in an abandoned warehouse with shocker fighting two armored foes. Uh, they're kind of in the dark a bit. There's a bit of a fake out where you see one kind of jumping around. You're maybe supposed to presume it's Spider-Man. I don't know. Uh, shocker at one point refers to one of them as being jumpier than a frog on Texas tarmac. Which, again, Shocker here is voiced almost essentially, like, beat for beat. It's the Kyle Katarn voice that this that this uh, voice actor, whatever his name is that I can't remember, uses. It is so fucking funny to me to hear that in Kyle Katarn's voice that someone is jumpier than a frog on Texas Tarmac. I had to make note of that. Um, this is uh, just a training exercise, this, this fight as the Tinkerer has provided Montana's teammates, uh, the Enforcers, with their own powered armor to uh, enhance and heighten abilities. Fancy Dan is this version of uh, Ricochet with the speed powers, and Ox is still... Ox. Still just... Yeah. I, uh, I like that they've... they've since, ever since they made the choice to have Montana become the Shocker, it's like, oh, it's, it's fun that they're, they've got the other Enforcers in. And you know, I'm just generally glad that they're they're sort of getting their dues here because the enforcers mm-hmm. are an underutilized uh, set of Spider-Man villains. Yeah, I would say that this is arguably the most. Um, I don't know, the most widely commercially seen anything that has the, the enforcers play a part in it. I'd say that's true. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess there's the Tinkerer who's, you know, very tangentially, you know, part of all this crew here was in Homecoming. But aside from that, like. This is easily the most, I don't know, well-represented, fleshed-out version of the team, even if they are rolling characters together. I still like it a lot. And even then, the Tinker wasn't the Tinker wasn't originally associated with the Enforcers in the comics, so... Mm. Well, yeah. I, yeah, it's, it's great representation here. It's good to see them. Uh, the test is a success, and uh, Tombstone is impressed with how effective the suits are. Uh, uncharacteristically so, I think. He seems really, like, giddy in this episode. But what can you do? Uh, on the other hand, Tombstone is unimpressed with uh, Hammerhead and his performance as of late. He failed to get the Rhino specs. Uh, the, the oil tanker fiasco with uh, Sandman was also directly under Hammerhead's supervision. Uh, so Tombstone is deciding to, like, at this point, leave his his own right-hand man out of the loop. Uh, cut him out in little chunks over and over and over, just kind of wear him down. You know, internal. Uh, I don't know how to how to phrase it. I, I like a good villain falling out story. It's good stuff. Yeah. Uh, Spider Man arrives at Midtown High and just barely avoids being discovered by Hobie Brown, uh, changing behind a dumpster. Uh, at the cost Hobie of Brown, falling. who has a who has a weird uh, running gag this whole uh, last few episodes where like nobody lets him talk. 
Yeah, I, I don't know if maybe his voice actor was just sick or something that week, but he just... I don't know, it's such a talk. weird... It's a, I, I, made, I don't remember where, I think I wrote it down somewhere, but uh, it's like such a weird running gag, but then eventually there's it, it pays off in uh, episode 12. Mm. Uh, Peter manages to avoid detection and being caught as Spider-Man by flailing and falling back into a pile of trash by the dumpster. Uh, good old of course char- character falls in the trash and is stinky and no one wants to sit next to him gag i think this is the second time that that peter has fallen into garbage and smells bad and school school comment on it in this show this is the yeah. second time they've done it because the first yep. time was when he uh, it was in the, at the dump with uh the shocker the first time he fought him mm-hmm. uh i literally wrote in my notes stinky pete lol and then about five seconds later a character said stinky pete so that was really really uh rewarding for me that was great i do have a note later on where i'm talking about toy story too but that's for later <laughs> wow great um yeah peter smells absolutely fucking terrible again and the entire class <clears throat> at captain stacy's seminar is sitting on the opposite side of the room um captain stacy reveals that the students are going to be paired up and go on a police ride along and uh they're drawing names from a hat to you know not I guess it was maybe the plan already, but it also helps to make Peter feel a little less, you know, no one wants to be with him. Um, Flash is upset that he's been paired with Harry instead of Shashan, who Hobie is paired with. Uh, Liz and Gwen get paired up together, as well as Mary Jane and Mark Allen, leaving Peter with Sally Avril. Um... Peter I, uh, I I oh, I really like this uh this ride along thing. It's it's a way to establish uh character dynamics that we normally wouldn't get to see. Uh yeah. like having more time between uh Flash and and Harry and mm-hmm. uh with Peter and Sally cuz Peter and Sally have, been, have kind of a combative relationship. It's 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 good. I like it. It's a good yeah. plot point. They're still very much developing Mark Allen as a character at this point, too. So it's, uh, you know, good opportunity for him. Uh, Peter bemoans this turn of events while he's out web slinging later and notices a hole in the roof of the Metro Bank. Uh, Going to investigate, he finds these new enforcers hard at work breaking into the vault. They pretty quickly... uh, not quite subdue, but uh, they they kick Peter's ass pretty hard and escape with several bags. Uh, pretty pretty decent uh, Spider-Man defeat. We don't see a lot of these in this show. Like, not to the point where it's like, okay, damn, shit, they got away. Uh, I don't know. I almost like it. It's good stuff. Yeah. Um, Norman meets with Hammerhead, uh, trying to recruit uh, well, rather, Hammerhead wants more supervillains for the big man. Osborne agrees to this, uh, telling him that he's got a new scientist who is a perfect match for the job, saying that he has qualities that are befitting of a leader, uh, and speculating that the big man and maybe Hammerhead himself have those qualities as well. It's nice and subtle at the beginning. Norman's, like, attempt to sway Hammerhead to, you know, his cause and his crew. But, uh, you know, they've run with that a little more later. Yeah. Peter shows up late for the ride-along, of course, invoking more of Sally's wrath. Uh, but meanwhile, MJ and Mark are hitting it off really well in the back of uh, their police cruiser. But it's not really going smoothly at all for Peter. Um, 
Sally blames Peter for upsetting the social order at Midtown by dating Liz. Um, while they observe police looking through the aftermath of everything that happened with Spider-Man's fight with the new enforcers. Um, the police find in the middle of all this that the a hole was dug adjacent that leads directly into the dry cleaners next door, but was covered up, meaning that the uh, bank may have just been, you know, a, a cover for that. As it turns out, the new enforcer's actual target was the set of Federal Reserve uniforms they picked up, which they're using to get inside, uh, pretending to bring in a shipment of gold bars. Uh, Montana disables the elevator kill switch and they don their equipment. Uh, I really like the shocker suit. Uh, uh, I don't traditionally like the costume a lot. It looks really goofy and stupid a lot of the time. It's good in this. I like it. Yeah, I, the, the shocker suit is, is, is fun to see how people do it because it is such is like maybe the dumbest looking suit. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's this is coming from a franchise that has a man in a goblin costume. Uh, but very true. I like the way it's done here. I like the way it's done in uh, Homecoming as well with the jacket. Oh yeah, for uh, sure. The jacket's great. Yeah, it's it's good. Homecoming nailed all the costumes. Oh yeah. Uh, Captain Stacy gets word of what was stolen while Harry essentially confronts Flash. Uh, Harry's frustrated that Flash has been giving him the cold shoulder as of late. Which Flash reveals is because uh, Harry left to go to Europe, as we know, leaving Hobie to take his place on the team. And if Harry had been at the championship, Flash figures, he wouldn't have busted his knee making the pass that he made. Uh, Leading Harry to spill the goblin sauce, uh, so to speak, revealing his globulin green addiction, which doesn't placate Flash, but further infuriates him. Because the games that Harry played would be null and void if anybody found out about this. Uh, that their their championship would be rather a disqualification were anybody to find out that their players were juicing. Which I think was a good... Ju- ju- juicing on goblin sauce. And they use that phrase on the show, too. They, they say, oh, you were juicing. And I'm like, is that, a sh- is that a word that's ever been said on a children's cartoon before in that context? That's like a real specific thing, I wonder. It's... It's it's like you're saying it. It's very funny. Yeah, it's it's played just unstraight enough to be good. I can't believe you were juicing with goblin juice. Oh, <laughs> I can't oh. believe you were drinking ecto cooler and it made you strong or whatever. And then later on, when we get to the the eighty million different revelations that happen on the final episode of this show, uh, the actual uh, usage of goblin sauce it makes it this all this shit even funnier. Yeah, for real. Um, the new enforcers have gotten past security and are descending in the elevator. There's a great little moment where uh, Ox is humming the uh, theme song to the show and a little head nod, I guess. Uh, that happens to me all the fucking time. I've said that before. I- I've been phoneless for the last few weeks, so I haven't been able to listen to music at work. And more often than not, I found myself just humming the theme song to this because I hear it like a lot. Great. It's Love good. It. Um, outside, Captain Stacy is telling Sally and Peter that they're going to be safe in the police's mobile command center, but Peter convinces the captain to let him snap some pictures from behind a van. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Uh, the enforcers enter the gold vaults, and Shocker blasts the elevator shaft to prevent anybody from coming down after them. Uh, it's completely incapacitated. Nobody will be able to clear it for presumably weeks, is what a character says later. 
Um, they begin blasting open a separate escape route, and Ox and Ricochet begin preparing to move the gold. Spider-Man arrives on the scene and lets Captain Stacy know that Shocker and his gang are behind the ongoing robbery and forces the elevator doors open himself. Uh, unfortunately for Spider-Man, the enforcers see him coming, courtesy of a rerouted security feed. Uh, so they launch <laughs> Ricochet up the elevator shaft, Ox and Shocker do. Uh, and he kind of just bats Spider-Man around for a while. It's like fucking Half-Life physics. It's, it's really funny. Um, yeah. Spider-Man manages to shake him off eventually, though, and uh, parachutes down the rest of the way on his webbing, which is a thing they like to do with him a lot this second half of the season. We see a lot of web parachutes for some reason, an idea they were saving. That's fun. Yeah, it's good. Uh, Ricochet manages to get in a sneak attack, however, alerting Shocker to Spider-Man's presence. Um, while Ox loads up a subway car that is serving as their getaway, Shocker and Ricochet keep Spider-Man busy. Another great fight sequence. Like I've said before, uh, the fights this season are all about the set pieces, and this is a really fun one. Yeah. Um, with the piles of gold bars and everything. It's it's just very comic book. They're just, um, they're, they're, yeah, all the sound design especially really is also really good where they're clanging around the gold bars. Mm-hmm. Um, buried under a pile of gold bars and uh, also just, you know, subdued for a bit. Uh, Spider-Man is. Shocker decides that it is too risky to stick around. They're not going to get the full take they were hoping for. They're just going to, you know, take the money they have and run, not lose the big man's take. Uh, Spider-Man follows them out uh, via this subway car that they're using and continues fighting them until he's, uh, again, beaten just senseless. Uh, This is all just a ploy, though. Uh, as Spider-Man manages to catch them by surprise and toss the cart of gold out the front window, causing the car to tip over. Uh, the enforcers manage to get away unscratched, uh, and with a few of the bars, but not nearly with what they would have gotten otherwise. I don't remember uh, when it exactly happens in this fight, uh, but Peter is, like, talking, like, I think I think it's when they're, like, getting away on the train and Peter has to catch up to them, where he, uh, he's like, oh, what a revolt and development. And I love that he says that, because that's an old uh, catchphrase that the the Thing would say in the old mm. uh, Lee Kirby uh, Fantastic Four comics. That's absolutely a thing you would catch, yeah. That's, that's, I think that's really, really fun. It's like, hey, hey, I know that. They They know who they're making this for, I guess, outside of 12-year-olds. I guess so. It's a very Lex thing to recognize. That's great. 12 year olds and me. <laughs> There's a Venn diagram there somewhere. Yeah, me too. Uh, <laughs> topside, Sally is complaining about having to wait uh, before the van is ambushed by Shocker. Uh, Shocker gets cover for Ox and Ricochet to arrive as well. But there's quickly another embroiled fight with Spider-Man. Uh, during this fight, the van where Peter kept his camera is blown up leaving Sally to believe that Peter has died, which is like the third or fourth, oh no, Peter's dead moment of the series. It just keeps uh, happening. Poor fucking kid. Uh, Shocker is about to finish off Spider-Man before the gauntlets uh, briefly malfunction, and he decides to take care of the proverbial bug another time, jumping into another getaway car with the rest of the enforcers, only for it to be hit uh, by a spike trap set by Hammerhead's driver, no less, uh, leaving them in the hands of the police. Sally is convinced that Peter was uh, blown to bits after no body is found, but Peter does show up, as he does, 
claiming that he went to the bathroom. Uh, it's <laughs> had to take a shit. A stupid lie, but it works. This infuriates Sally because she had gotten so worried over Peter being dead. But you know how it is. Uh, at Midtown, Principal Davis removes the championship trophy uh, as it is now under review. And at the beginning, Harry is blamed for this, but Flash very quickly comes forward to reveal that he was the one who spilled the news about Harry juicing because uh, he didn't want to have an un a dishonest win. That's who Flash is. This alienates Flash's friends for the time being, but it finally wins Flash the attention of Shashan Wen, uh, much to his elation. Uh, Harry, however, is far worse off, uh, or so we think, as he opens up his stash of globulin green in his bedroom, capping the episode off with a super cool goblin shadow off the wall. Oh, the boy may be drinking his juice. Back on the juice. Uh, which takes us to the 10th episode of this season, Gangland, which I think possibly may be my favorite uh, episode of the show. I'll, I'll have to think about that a little more, Damn. I think. Uh, this one's fun. It's 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 pretty good. It is. It is Valentine's Day and yet another great uh, passage of time moment. Every few episodes, it feels like we've moved along another month or two, you know, from from Halloween to Christmas to Valentine's Day being another little two month movement. Yeah. Um, and opposing factions of New York's criminal underground are not really feeling the lovey dovey spirit. Uh, criminals from both Tombstones and Silvermane's mobs are at war with each other in a lot of more, you know, crazy set piece stuff at a flower shop, a fight that Spider-Man breaks up. Uh, forgetting to pick up flowers for his dinner date with Liz. Despite this, uh, Harry is glad to see Peter show up at Jazzy Gianni's. I made, I remembered to get the name of this one down because names in these places are always so fucking dumb. I never, uh, I never paid attention to it, but that's, that's, that's a great name. <laughs> uh, and both are surprised to see Gwen Stacy step out of a cab with Mary Jane and uh, with a new look. Uh, Liz, however, is not impressed. This is, uh, you know, I say this is a, a good, a, f a favorite episode. There's a bit of borderline character assassination with Gwen from here, where they very much pull the, wow, they did a makeover and she doesn't wear her glasses anymore and now she's pretty thing. And it's like, okay. I don't, I don't, I don't know if it's, uh, I don't know if I'd go far so far as to call it character assassination because Gwen still acts the same. She doesn't, yeah. she, it's not like they, it's not like, you know, Mary Jane Watson and Spider-Man too, where they completely fuck her for up sure, tremendously. For sure. It's uh, not so severe. Yeah. But it, it, kind of, it rubs me the wrong way a little bit with how much they went out of their way to be like, look, Gwen is smart in this one. And that's like, well, we can't have her have glasses. It's, uh, it, it, it's, it's like that classic. It's that classic trope of, uh, it's like, uh, what is that movie? She's all that. It's yeah. like that. Classic, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I it's kind of goofy to me, but you know, it's not such a yeah. It's, 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 it's goofy, but it's, it's not anything that I, I thought was particularly terrible. Elsewhere, uh, J. Jonah Jameson is being dragged to the opera house by his wife. Uh, more classic sitcom type shit, as she demands a romantic evening, or else they're there to see uh, Rigoletto. And as it's warming up, a, a meeting of the minds of evil is taking place high above the audience. In one corner sits Tombstone, the reigning big man of crime, 
who wants to keep the criminal element as he currently runs it. Uh, he's not really wanting to give up his seat. Across from him is Silvio Silvermane Manfredi, who I always love to read his name like a wrestler. Silvio Silvermane Manfredi, uh, who <laughs> it's a good name to return things to his old-fashioned management style. And rounding out this meeting is Dr. Octopus, the master planner, the third... Dr. Octopus? Is that what I said? Jesus. <laughs> picked a great time to scratch my lip. Uh, the, the, the master planner, as he's known, who feels that the supervillains and the science that he's providing are the future of New York's underworld. They are accompanied by their respective subordinates, Hammerhead, Silver Sable, and the Vulture wearing a fucking top hat, which I thought was great. It was Look very stylish. Uh, it cracked me up, but, you know, it's the drip. The trio begin uh, their, their meeting to get things hashed out and discussed. Meanwhile, at Jazzy Gianni's, uh, Peter's group is interrupted by Flash Thompson and his posse showing up. Uh, crowding in to share the table flash takes this opportunity to ask peter a favor he wants peter to alert him uh to not do anything stupid around shashan which they establish with a friendly kicking game elbowing game under the table and uh, uh and one thing that the, I, this is like a really small thing but like when everybody crowds into the booth uh i don't remember who says it but like you just hear somebody say stop complaining this is fun yeah, I, I saw that in the subtitles when I was watching. That was good. Um, yeah, I, I, I love a good everybody's at the restaurant scene with all of this, you know, classic Spider-Man type stuff. Um, back at the opera, Tombstone, Silvermane and Doc Ock are sharing pleasantries, but the situation quickly goes violent when they begin asking each other who set this summit up. Uh, Hammerhead knocks out Sable and the Vulture and throws a machine gun to Tombstone, the aforementioned laser RCW, I guess. Yeah. Uh, Doc Ock fights back with, of course, his tentacles, while Silvermane pulls his own ace in the hole with a suit of powered armor that I note here uh, looks even more Buzz Lightyear than Colonel Jupiter did. Where Doc Ock in this scene says like the funniest line I think he's ever said, or he's like, "What is this treachery?" Mm -hmm. He almost like yeah. the Duke of Lemon Grab. It was so yeah. Funny. He really, he really does. Uh, God, he's very great. upset about the whole situation. Uh, as the fight tears up the room, uh, it eventually spills into the lobby. Uh, while Hammerhead just helps himself to the meal before him, uh, dreaming of becoming the new big man once these three take each other out. Uh, meanwhile, the dinner date continues, uh, but Peter is suddenly called by Robbie at the bugle. Uh, Patch and, is... uh, oh, and, and one thing here, I'd like to, I, it, I can't believe it took me this long to notice, uh, but it, I realized that Peter's ringtone is the itsy bitsy spider. Yeah, that's that that is really good. I don't think I caught that at all, to be honest with you. Yeah, it's it's just the itsy bitsy spider sped up and I'm like, those motherfuckers. It's. Uh, and no one questioned that when Peter was supposedly Spider-Man, but okay. Ding, I guess ding, 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 ding. I guess he a just, lot of he, I guess he just likes the song. Tone. I guess so, yeah. I, I, good thing that's the first time that's ever been used in Spider-Man media, and it's never been used since. Uh, Patch is undercover at the Opera House to spy on the villains uh, and needs someone for photos. So Peter is forced to bail on the date for work. 
he very briefly, you know, he only has so much time to tell Liz goodbye, except the goodbye is more aimed at Gwen, really ruffling Liz's feathers, uh, rightfully so. When he shows up as Spider-Man, the three villains converge on him, as well as still fighting each other. Um, and they attempt to call allies for backup, but are met with uh, interference at every turn. Their their communications are jammed, and they're not able to uh, to make those calls. Uh, back at Jazzy Gianni's, Liz's brother Mark is seen speaking with a mysterious, suspicious, mustached man. Uh, he suddenly buys a basket of roses for the table with a suspicious pile of money. Liz's expression uh, brings a frown to Mark's face during this. Meanwhile, Harry is upset that Peter bailed on the date, and Flash is still doing his damnedest to not look like an idiot around Shashan. A uh, fun gag where Kenny hits him despite not having a reason, just saying it looked fun when Peter did it. Uh, Flash is trying. He's really trying. It's it's admirable. It's a certified Flash moment in a good way this time. I do appreciate uh, it. Eventually, Shashan explains to Flash that she likes him simply for his being honest. Uh, and the two share a dance, which is nice. Spidey is still struggling to keep up with the villains uh, in fighting and keep them fighting each other. Um, and also working double time to prevent any uh, collateral damage with innocent bystanders. Uh, Doc Ock manages to pin Spidey down and suggests to Tombstone and Silvermane that they should work together to ensure the death of Spider-Man. However, Tombstone refuses, saying he can't afford to be seen working with criminals in public, uh, which, you know, I, he just about forgot to, up to this point, I guess. Uh, yeah. Silvermane has no such issue and attempts to kill Spider-Man in a power-armored bear hug, but uh, Spidey removes him from the fight by noticing that the suit runs on hydraulics and just really quickly yanking those out, like, quick, easy done. Fuck you. What's, 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 it's like the only reminds me of is that uh, a Tumblr post I saw. Like, I think I reblogged it from you not too long ago, like a day or two <laughs> ago. Uh, yeah, here it is. I get into a fight with a steampunk cosplayer and use a wrench to tighten the gears on his outfit until he overheats and explodes. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's pretty much what Spider-Man does. That's that. Yeah, that's it. He did it. <laughs> Upstairs, uh, Sable has quickly recovered the situation and uh, demands Hammerhead tell her who's jamming the phones, but Hammerhead just shrugs and walks away. Uh, I, I really love Hammerhead in these last few episodes as he's, like, getting his own identity with, uh, you know, everything that's going on with him and, you know, his, his rise to self-sufficiency. He just wants to go evil mode. And one thing I didn't uh, talk about earlier uh, is that a lot of these fight scenes... Uh, they have like opera playing in the background, and I just wrote down that opera makes every fight scene better. No witnesses down here. I assume you remember our last physical encounter. Painfully. But I told you then, I don't look the other way. Yeah, it really does. Uh, it does a lot of favors here. Oh, yeah. Uh, Doc Ock eventually tears a chunk of the floor out, causing him, Spider-Man, and Tombstone to collapse into a utility tunnel. 
uh, Spider-Man takes advantage of this to knock out Doc Ock and uh, pull his harness's battery. All that remains is Tombstone, who now has no issues beating Spider-Man to a pulp now that nobody is watching. Very brutal fight from here. Uh, great little tunnel set piece. Love a classic hallway fight. But uh, Spider-Man emerges victorious and sees to it that all three of these crime lords are taken away, including Tombstone, uh, before returning to Liz and her home. However, Mark refuses to let Peter see Liz out of anger for his abandoning her, uh, but more so because he believes that Peter has feelings for Gwen, which he does. He does. He warns, <laughs> he, he warns him that Liz is too good to be considered second place in a relationship and too good for Peter to be in a relationship with her before slamming the door in his face. So he might have finally taken down Tombstone, but he also probably doesn't have a girlfriend anymore. What can you do? Yeah. And I want to say this right now before we get into the next episode. Uh, I don't like Mark as a character. He kind of is boring yeah. and annoys me. Uh, yeah. And the, the next episode is probably my least favorite in the entire show. Not because it's bad. Mm. It's just kind of the most average. It's like, yeah. eh. there's only so much, you know, time left here. And it, it, it feels wasted on Mark. I will say it's an interesting idea bridging, you know, all those multiple characters to create him as he is. But I just don't give enough of a shit about Molten Man or him to, to, you know, care. I can, Im I can imagine a world where it's done. It's done well, but I, I don't want to like shit on anybody in particular, but like, I feel like, I don't know if it was the direction or just the voice actor for Mark. He just feels he has this sort of like sleepy demeanor about him. Like very much reminds me of uh, Toby Maguire where he's like, hey, leave my sister alone. <laughs> and it's like, come it, on, we got to get, get some energy in here. Let's go. It does come across like that a lot. Yeah. Uh, the episode is finding its conclusion here. The next day at the police precinct, uh, Spider-Man is furious to know that uh, Tombstone made it out on bail like immediately after his arrest. Uh, Captain Stacy assures him that Tombstone is under very close and very constant surveillance, making it that much harder to continue his criminal activities, uh, which placates uh, Peter for the most part. But Stacy now warns there is a power vacuum in the criminal underworld and that nature abhors a vacuum. Uh, indeed, yeah. Tombstone has already been forced to yield to the new big man of crime, the Green Goblin. Oh yeah, Gobby moment. Who is just straight up like, yeah, I'm the I'm the new big man. What are you gonna do about it? Fight me. Uh, I don't care. Great ending here. Just solid stuff. Uh, takes us into the next one. We're halfway through here. Moving on to episode eleven, subtext, which opens at Montana's Big Sky Billiards Room. Uh, it's one of those, you know, not necessarily like preamble episodes. We're right into the thick of it. Spider-Man is face to face with the Molten Man. Uh, his skin, his skin covered in a superheated metallic alloy. Uh, it's pretty intense. He's setting everything he touches ablaze and Spider-Man can't lay any punches on it because of the heat. Uh, Spider-Man gets thrown across the burning room and notices Mary Jane and Liz Allen hiding behind a counter. Uh, you know, great. One more thing to worry about. Uh, and we get a flashback from there, uh, some context uh, to catch us up to this moment. Uh, it's earlier that day, and Peter is waiting to meet Liz by a fountain and apologize for his lackluster performance as a boyfriend. 
Liz has her own set of problems, as her brother Mark has not been seen in a few days, and she's worried that he's gotten himself into trouble again. Uh, we know that Mark was uh, a back, you know, a juvie guy, and he's back there, but we haven't gotten much back from there. But we haven't gotten a lot of additional context. Uh, he, he also has a he also has a somewhat of a uh, a relationship with Mary Jane. Yeah, they've they've become very close, especially after the uh, the police ride along. They grew a lot closer there. Yep. Uh, Liz explains that Mark is a habitual gambler with a, a bad, bad problem with it uh, and is frequently in debt to his bookkeeper, Blackie Gaxton. Uh, Liz explains that, uh, yeah, he's often in debt to his bookkeeper and often ends up getting into more trouble when he resorts uh, to crime to repay his loans. Harry chimes in and explains that Mark can only stop his addiction when he's ready uh, and, you know, uh, re relates it to his consumption of the green. Uh, but Peter decides to, uh, turn to Spider-Man as a first step to resolve this. Uh, at the big sky, Mark is indeed in deep with Blackie, but is confident he's going to win it all back on his next racehorse, because it's always a lock with him. Uh, suddenly, yep. <laughs> the Green Goblin flies in to announce his new ownership of this location as the big man. Uh... There's some fighting that ensues, but Blackie, you know, recognizes, uh, okay, all right, I'm not going to fight the goblin man. He's the big man. What's up? Uh, and the goblin approaches him with a favor, uh, a favor that Blackie is eager to oblige, saying he's got the perfect sap for the job. I'm trying, Blackie, I'm trying to remember, when does, uh, I, I don't remember when this happens. I just, ha all I have written down is uh, some, I think it's the goblin trying to talk to somebody. And he's like, I need, <laughs> I think that is this moment to which Blackie replies that he has the perfect sap for the job. God, fuck that. It's just so funny when he goes, I need a. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like it's Looney Tunes shit. It's great, though. Uh, Blackie takes Mark to an abandoned police station, which has been converted into a laboratory run by Norman Osborne and Dr. Miles Warren, the bastards of science, the bastards uh, of science. I, I had that written down. I, that's that's what I like calling them. Going fucking uh, evil mode. Oh, completely, yeah. Uh, having studied the subdermal process that created the Sandman, Dr. Warren claims to have perfected it through nanotechnology, and Blackie has offered up Mark as a test subject in exchange for striking his debts. Uh, Mark uh, agrees. Not, only, not only striking his debts, but also giving him a hundred dollars. Yeah, yeah. I, I, <laughs> That's so funny. A like dollar voucher. Like he does this and he gets like fucked up by the science experiment and he's like, ah, and then <laughs> like he's not going to go. That and then he just, and Blackie just gives him a hundred dollars. Like, Hey, go buy yourself some nice toots. <laughs> get out of here. Yeah. Get, I got, I got my goal. It's so funny. Fucking love miles more in the show. Uh, the up. process succeeds and leaves Mark with an, un, an indestructible subdermal coating on his skin, which he can supposedly mentally switch on and off at will. With his new powers, no debt, and his hot $100 bill, uh, Mark heads to the racetrack in hopes of continuing his hot streak, unaware that Spider-Man is watching from afar. His horse comes in last, and Mark is so distraught that his armor seemingly activates against his will, uh, and superheats uh, him and the area until he's setting fire to the track and the surroundings. Spider-Man is forced to intervene, and attempts to get him, but the Molten Man overpowers him easily and escapes.
We also here in that scene, we get to see the Green Goblin in full costume in a trench coat walking around the racetrack, which uh, yeah. is maybe the funniest image in the world. He looks like the fucking uh, the Flasher Gremlin is what oh he looks God. like. It's it's so With a hat on. It's absolutely it's incredibly dumb and I love it. Mm hmm. Uh, also, I think if I saw Spider-Man at the racetrack, I would think like, oh, okay, Spider-Man has a gambling addiction. Uh, that's let's let we can figure out who he is, like reverse engineer it from there. Uh, <laughs> I, I've got it. He's Mark uh, Allen. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever seen Spider-Man and Molten Man at the same place at the same time? Didn't think so. Didn't think so. Meanwhile, MJ has come over to visit Liz. Uh, Liz believes that she's trying to drive a wedge between her and Peter. But uh, MJ explains it's not at all like that, and that her main concern is that she knows uh, Mark is gambling again, and Liz asks that she be taken to him. Uh, Mark immediately returns to Blackie at the Big Sky, but with the Green Goblin now uh, also present. The Goblin explains that Mark was never in control of his armor, but was being manipulated through a remote control to think that he was. Uh, jumping on Mark's despair, the goblin agrees to relinquish control over him if he eliminates Spider-Man, uh, a bet that he can't refuse. And as if on cue, Spider-Man arrives himself at the big sky, and Mark immediately tears through the bar to get at him just as MJ and Liz arrive and kind of recognize him. Uh, the fight is now caught up to the cold open flashback sequence. Uh, with Mark burning the bar down and tearing it to pieces. Uh, Spider-Man is just barely able to get the girls and Blackie back to safety. Uh, yet another Spider-Man dudes rock rescue the two girls moment. Oh, yeah. um, Liz and Mary Jane attempt to talk to Mark and get him to stop gambling with his life. Almost during the school play. Uh, great little heart tug moment with Mark not being there operating the lights. Yeah. The, uh, as much as I have harped on this episode, the, the, the endings bit here with these, these really good emotional moments and, uh, the bit with, uh, Dr. Connors and miles Warren. That we're yeah, gonna talk really quick. Yeah. Those bits are, are, are good. Yeah. It, um, it, it's one of the solid, more solid parts of the episode. And like you mentioned elsewhere at ESU, uh, Dr. Connors is being uh, he's discovered Dr. Warren's notes on the subdermal armor and is appalled. Uh, he threatens to go to the board with the evidence that he has here. And Warren calmly informs Connors that the board is already in his favor and not so subtly brings up the damning evidence of Connors transformation to the lizard, telling him to keep his forked tongue quiet. God damn, uh, he's so fucking evil. I love it. Yeah, closing the book on this episode. Uh, so fucking evil. I it's it's just preposterous. Uh, it takes us to our penultimate episode opening night. Uh, Norman Osborn has invited Captain Stacy and J. Jonah Jameson to the vault, a new wing of Rikers Island prison designed to contain the most dangerous of supervillains and to prove it as inescapable. Osborne has hired slash arrested Spider-Man as a special guest to test this boast. Um, meanwhile, Black Cat is arriving in disguise to do something she never, you know, thought she might have to do. Break into a prison while Spider-Man is trying to break out. It's a great setup for an episode. Thinking about it, this could also be my favorite episode. It's 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 definitely going to be an episode from the second season. 
This one is a lot of fun. It's great. Uh, but we're going to get into how great it is very shortly. Back at school, the pl- production of A Midsummer Night's Dream is beginning, or rather getting ready to begin. The cast is nervous, and the director, Mr. Devereaux, is super panicked because Harry Osborne has gone missing. Uh, Gwen has not seen him all day. Nobody has. Liz is also concerned for Peter, as she wants him to sit with her parents in place of Mark, who and Peter promised he would be there. More classic Spider-Man promising he'll be at a play. Uh, when the director announces that his own plan to play Harry's role of Puck, uh, Glory instead suggests Hobie Brown, who knows the role perfectly, despite being mute. <laughs> it's it, <laughs> yeah. This this whole uh play thing is is really fun, and it's a it's another way for Peter to have a, a sort of struggle between his his superhero and his personal life. But part of me wonders, like, why did he agree to go be in this prison thing when he has to go to the show as well? It's like, can he just be yeah. like, ah, can we do this like tomorrow? I can't, I can't, I'm busy tonight. Maybe Norman offered to pay him. I don't know. I would think too, uh, Spider-Man would maybe want to like know how secure this thing is. But yeah, the timing sucks. It is very bad. Uh, back at the vault, uh, Black Cat is beginning her infiltration. While Jameson is gleefully teasing Spider-Man over his imprisonment, uh, Norman, meanwhile, excuses himself to attend to personal matters, uh, whatever those may be. Spidey suddenly blinds the camera with webs, uh, which triggers knockout gas in his cell. Uh, He manages to cocoon the gas in a mound of webbing that looks like a big egg sack. It's really fucked up. It's really cool. Yeah. Uh, the guards arrive and see nothing but web inside the cell from a detonated webbing uh, thing, a little cartridge Peter like plugged uh, a live wire into. Great. Guards arrive, see nothing but webs, no Spider-Man. They poke the big fat ball of web, which doses them with the gas that had been blocked off, uh, giving Spider-Man his escape route. The security staff immediately go into lockdown procedures. But nothing is responding, and all of the doors are sealing shut on the guards. Uh, High above Rikers, the Green Goblin is watching the chaos unfold as he hacks into the prison systems. Really, really good stuff. Escaping the vault, uh, with the battle only halfway over, Spider-Man arrives to the main prison wing of Rikers, where all of the crooks, thugs, hoods, and various lowlifes that he has put away are stewing in their cells. Uh, the Enforcers are there, Silvermane, Quentin Beck, a real who's who of uh, villains that have appeared on the show. Uh, suddenly, mid-boast, the cell doors fly open and allow said crooks uh, to gang up on our wall crawler, just as the curtain is rising at Midtown. Uh, this is just absolutely classic Spider-Man stuff. This whole setup, the, the, the scenario here, it just this feels so on brand, this entire episode. It's really good. Shit is getting complicated. Uh, Spider-Man does his best to survive the onslaught of thugs, including uh, Quentin Beck, when he turns out to be a Mysterio. Is, is this the bot or is is this another bot that was arrested? Yeah, I literally wrote in my notes. I love that Mysterio keeps getting away with putting robots in prison like they keep falling for it. Like, when are they going to realize that maybe they should like double check if it's a robot? <laughs> Yeah, the first one, you know, we joked about having to be realistic everywhere, but like how much more realistic is the second one have to be, right? He just keeps getting away with it. 
there's got to be a point where you just eventually have to like shoot the guy in the foot to make sure he's a person before you arrest him. Something. <laughs> I will accept police brutality for this one moment. Is that really Mysterio? Punch him and see if he bleeds. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, pu- yeah. Punch him a little bit. If, if if metal plates fall off of him and he morphs into a Mysterio, uh, we've got our answer. Suddenly, uh, in the nick of time to aid Spider-Man, Black Cat appears and distracts the criminals long enough uh, for Spider-Man to catch his breath. Uh, The pair slip into some cells to evade the mob, uh, rather a cell, which is occupied by a single tenant hidden in the shadows that we're not properly introduced to yet. Uh, Oh my god, I wanted to mention, uh, I have it in my notes here before we get too far away from this, while they're fighting the Mysterio bot. Uh, Jonah mentions that he loves the gremlins that he throws. Uh, I, I thought that was worth mentioning. I don't know. I, I think it's really funny that Jonah's infatuated <laughs> with Mysterio's robot gremlins. He's just enamored by little creatures. <laughs> They're great. Um, the play is now in full swing at Midtown with Hobie now on stage as Puck uh, reciting his lines. Uh while this happens, uh, the Goblin releases Rhino and Molten Man to increase the odds against Spider-Man. Uh, back in the cell, Black Cat introduces Spidey to its occupant, Walter Hardy, the original cat burglar, and her father, which quietly drives Spider-Man into shock, seeing the criminal who killed his Uncle Ben that fateful night at the arena. Ba-ba-ba! fucking incredible reveal by the way it's it's crazy uh that obviously that's not a thing that happens in the comics they added this right show uh but it's it's really interesting to have him sort of grapple with the fact that black cat wants to break him out of prison but peter's like fuck this guy this guy's not getting out it's uh it's really it's really really well done and it's some of the most emotional weight that a problem has had for this Peter so far. A, a lot of this show has just been, oh, got to stop the gang war. Oh, got to stop the big man. There haven't been a lot of personal stakes outside of, oh, got to save Gwen. And this is like some of the most personal these stakes get. Oh, um, yeah. It's really great. Um, All of this uh, being said, there's there's a fun thing happening at the play, too, where the costumes are like Spider-Man themed, kind of the coloration on Glory's costume is very Spider-Man. The puck costume is very Green Goblin, which leads me to enable this. It's it's really weird. I don't know anything. I don't know anything particularly about Midsummer Night's Dream. It's it's not one of the Shakespeare plays that I've read or seen. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's I I don't know. I don't know why they decided to do that. It's kind of weird. It's a better Spider-Man play than Turn Off the Dark, I imagine. Well, who knows? We're going to fucking get to Turn Off the Dark later this season. I'm, we I'm, sure are. I'm so... God. It's going to be great. Everyone who is listening to this right now, I've said this before, you are not ready for what is going to happen in the Turn Off the Dark episode. When I said that last time, Alex didn't know what we were talking about, but uh, it, we've got some I've, shit. I've, I've heard some rumblings, yeah. Our, our, our special guest for that episode has some... <laughs> insane shit planned i'm really looking forward to it uh the trio of walter felicia and peter make uh, their escape through the vents just as rhino arrives to tear down their hiding spot black cat explains that she wants to break walter out peter's having absolutely none of it and walter is left feeling very uncomfortable uh that feeling becomes mutual when molten man sends fire through the vents uh, great little diehard type sweat out the vents thing. 
meanwhile, Flash is on stage, and though his acting skills are weak, uh, being with Shashan makes it worthwhile for him, personally. Great little Flash moment. Which, of course, we, we cut back to the main action with Spidey, Black Cat, and Walter, uh, who escape into the vault's gas storage chamber. Black Cat explains that the criminals can be stopped if someone is willing to stay behind and turn the gas vents on manually. She goads Spidey into being that someone, of course, so he heads back to lure the villains into the chamber. Along the way, um, he removes the Mysterio robot from the field by luring Molten Man into blasting it, which I thought was a fun, neat little, you know, creative ingenuity moment there. Yeah, he uh, he does it, and then whenever he like he like tells him like you, I bet you can't hit me, and he's like, I'll take that bet, and he puts the Mysterio robot in front of him, and then Spider-Man swings off and yells "sucker," which is so yeah. funny. It's really great. Yeah, he's like you fucking idiot, <laughs> get owned. But yeah, he yeah screams "sucker," swings off. Uh, great moment, love it. Doesn't happen enough. You would think that would happen a lot more. Um. Once everybody is gathered in the chamber, the gas is turned on by Walter, surprisingly, allowing Spidey and Black Cat to escape while he and the other prisoners are left trapped. Uh, Black Cat leaves in anger with her thoughts flashing back to a mere moment before. I thought I missed something at one point watching this before, like uh, they go to this flashback thing. I was I was very confused, but uh, it's great from here. Uh, Walter explains to her and Spider-Man that as the cat burglar, he never hurt anybody, uh, and made it a point to never hurt anybody, but began carrying a gun for protection as his physical skills faded with age. Uh, the killing of Ben Parker was not something he enjoyed. It was not, uh, intentional, I believe he says, right? Was it also an accident? He never meant, he never meant for it to happen. Mm -hmm. And he's regretted it every single day since it happened. Uh, so he chooses to stay behind and remain in prison because it's where he belongs to atone for his sins. And I want to say he says the name Ben Parker of his own volition. It's not even a thing Spider-Man has to like goad out of him, which is really yeah. interesting to me. Um, but yeah, rather than accept her father's fate, uh, Black Cat instead blames Spider-Man and swears that she'll never forgive him, uh, exiting the scene and the show. Uh, she's not the only one pissed. Uh, the Green Goblin is furious with Spider-Man's continued survival and attacks on him directly. So he decides to pay him a visit. Uh, immediately, Spidey's thoughts turn to the terrifying idea that Harry is back on the Globulin Green and is seeking revenge as his alter ego. Uh, order is restored at Rikers, with the scene fading once more to Midtown, where Hobie, as Puck, delivers the final scene to a standing ovation. Really, really solid episode. Um, oh, yeah. Just really... Walter Hardy's not a character I'm terribly familiar with, but incorporating him as this role, instead of just the nameless burglar that kills Uncle Ben, knocked it out of the park. Really good stuff. Uh, no, no. I've said I've said before, specifically in our our Spider-Man three episode, that I'm I'm normally not terribly a huge fan of uh, when they make somebody the the person who killed Uncle Ben uh, like a, a character that we already know, like what they did yeah. with Sandman in Spider-Man three. Mm -hmm. uh, but this time, it actually it works as a way to get this emotional moment out here uh, in the prison. It's 
It's real. It's it's one of the times that that's really well done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't have much more to say about it. You 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 pretty much hit the nail on the head. It's uh, yeah. it's not often done well, and it was done great here. Which takes us, lo and behold, we've reached we've reached the end, dear listener. We are at <sighs> season two, episode thirteen, the final curtain. The final uh, episode of the show where 80 million different things happen like all at once. And then the show yeah. is over forever. Yeah, uh, it, it does have a bit of a jarring ending. It made me sit up and go, what? Huh? This uh, is the most uh, like batshit ending to a television show I've seen in a long time. Yeah, I, I definitely think a third season might have ironed this out a bit more. But uh, part of me, we... part of me wonder is because uh, they had to they had to move. uh we might as well get real quick into the history of what happened to this show before we Uh go on to this. Uh, So this show was originally created by uh, Sony television. Uh, It was on kids WB and then later the CW before it was then uh, moved to Disney channel for the second season. Uh, Because, you know, while they were in the middle of production on this show, uh, Disney ended up buying Marvel. Yes. Uh, And that fucking shook up everything related to the rights especially since as we uh, remember from way, way back in last season, we talked about how Marvel went bankrupt in the nineties and sold off a bunch of rights to their characters, blah, 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 blah. That's why Marvel's that's why Spider-Man's movie rights are so tied up with shit. Uh, and that's what happened here. Uh, so when Marvel got the TV rights to Spider-Man back from Sony, there was a, a shakeup and it ended up canceling the show and Marvel decided to make uh, Ultimate Spider-Man with uh, Drake Bell, the next cartoon. Yeah. Uh, noted sex past Drake Bell. But here, it, it, it because that of that shift had taken place in between season one and two, uh, part of me want, realize, wonders if they knew this was going to be the last episode and they were like, fuck, 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 let's just scramble and get all this shit done as much as we can. And they just crammed it all into the last episode. That's definitely a possibility, yeah. Normally, I would say that this is a problem, but I feel like that it's like, it's it's fucking insane enough that I'm like, sure, why not? And I mean, we'll talk about it later on in the episode, so let's just, let's just get back into it. Yep, yep. We begin with uh, Spider-Man in a heated battle with uh, a bunch of the Green Goblin's pumpkin-headed henchmen that he's hired. Uh, wearing their Halloween outside. 3 masks. Yeah, they're silver shamrock ass. Uh, they're raiding a warehouse for weapons. Um, Spidey captures the majority of them in a big dangly web trap and threatens some info out of them in a very grown-up Spider-Man moment, uh, looking for where the goblin's lair is. Uh, but nobody can tell him. Uh, one of the pumpkin-headed villains is also escaping with a truck full of guns. All Spidey knows is that... Uh, he needs to save his missing friend, Harry Osborn, from his own globulin green-induced insanity. So, back home, Peter apologizes to Liz for missing the school play due to work. Uh, Liz tries to be supportive and subtly hints that uh, Peter's emotions for her are actually meant for someone else, like Gwen. Uh, Peter's love-life issues are interrupted by an urgent call from Gwen to meet her at her house. Harry's with her, and he needs help. Which, you know, Peter was kind of expecting. Um, Peter arrives to find Harry sitting on the couch. Um, 
he Harry briefly explains, you know, retrospectively his addiction to Gobble and Green to Peter and Gwen and how he believed himself to be the Green Goblin as the uh, result of the chemical warping his mind. A fact that Peter has to play some surprise at. Uh, however, Harry now claims that the Green Goblin is a separate person from himself who had kidnapped him, explaining his recent absence. Harry is encouraged by Gwen to confront his father, Norman, for help. As Harry leaves, Peter and Gwen spend some time recognizing their feelings for each other, uh, deciding to be together, but recognizing their need to end their current relationships. Unaware that Harry is outside and listening with a very evil expression for a little boy, even a little boy going through this. Yeah, uh, Harry was prepared to do the most devilish thing in this entire television program. Mm hmm. Um, and that's saying something. Yeah, for real. Uh, back at the Osborne home, Harry begs Norman for help, but is not getting very far. Spider-Man, however, shows up and accuses Norman of being the Green Goblin, recalling last Halloween when he saw Norman exit a secret passage in the home. Which... Exit, his, exit his secret jerk-off dungeon that we talked about a couple episodes <laughs> yeah, ago. Yeah, the, the Norman Osborne Masturbatorium. Yes. Uh, which turns out to be nothing but a wine cellar, not a supervillain lair. Norman Damn. calmly defends himself by stating that he was also present when the goblin stole the inhibitor prototype device from Oscorp and walks away. Fuck you. He's like, you're wrong, dipshit. The balcony suddenly explodes uh, and the goblin flies in with finger zappers blazing. And I just cannot tell you how happy I am that he's, he uses these things as often as he does in this show. It's so fucking cool. Oh, I, I love the finger zappers. Uh, after a short fight that ends with the goblin escaping again, Spidey confronts the Osborns again. Uh, now very confused because both of his prime suspects are innocent. Uh, Spidey asks them if there's anybody else that has access to Globulin Green. Norman mentions Donald Mencken, an employee at Oscorp, who has conveniently vanished with his company records erased. I'm going to be totally honest with you. I really actually thought that this twist was going to go somewhere, that Mencken actually was going to be the goblin. And I was actually really disappointed for a few minutes. Like, I bought it. I fully admit that I'm stupid and the show has tricked me more than once. But I actually <laughs> thought they were going to fake us out with Mencken being the goblin, which was like, oh, man. This this show, like normally, if if in a lot of other shows, if they tried to do this whole who's the Green Goblin thing, like just play it out for that long, it would mm -hmm. get really tedious and like super boring. Uh, but they I, I got to give it up to the writers for somehow pulling this shit off, because like right at the end, when they do have the reveal later on, I was like, what the fuck? Like, I, even I was like so blinded by it that I didn't even expect what was going to happen. I was like, oh, well, uh -huh. yeah, for sure. Uh, it's a hell of a last episode. I don't know if it's one of the best last episodes or one of the worst, but it's great. It is it's, great. It's I'll insane. That. It's insane. It's spectacular. God damn it. The next day at Midtown, uh, Peter's feelings for Gwen have are only growing deeper, uh, and he's ultimately forced to sever his relationship with Liz, who publicly makes a show of the breakup to save face with her popular peers, uh, but privately goes around the corner to hide and weep at her dissolution with Peter. Not great stuff, but, you know, got to have your first breakup at some point. At ESU, uh, Peter and Gwen meet with Dr. Kurt Connors, but are saddened to learn that he and his family are moving to Florida 
uh, yay Florida lizard connection. And his research is now in the hands of Dr. Miles Warren, who Kurt's wife Martha does not trust in the slightest. Um, the Florida thing, had that been brought up previously in the show? Or am I just they they don't even say that they're moving to Florida until like the end of the episode. They just say that they're leaving ESU and then they're leaving New York. Uh, I mean, I assume that they were going to move to Florida because that's where the Connors usually are are based in the comics. But I think they may have said it out loud. I I have it written in my notes, but I could be wrong. Either way, uh, it's it's a neat place for them to end up, even if it's not specifically Florida out of state. Boo hoo. Uh, the dissolution of the lab actually hit me harder than any other like death or fake out or oh no that's so sad any of the Doc Ock shit Kirk Connors just wanted to be a fucking doctor again he just he, he just wanted to have his normal life and then fucking Miles Warren with his huge gun he keeps in his pants is like yeah you fucker get out of here you want to play Russian roulette for the job Kurt <laughs> yeah you bastard that evening Spidey is given Minkin's location by Norman and pays him a visit with Norman and Harry following via Oscorp helicopter, like their assault chopper. Yeah, so he's like talking, he's like trying to get Mankin's location, uh, and then he's like, oh yes, thank you, Gargan, your check's in the mail, and I'm like, Gargan, yeah, you're peppering shit in now? Uh, yeah, he's at, uh, at this he's... point, at this point, it made me more mad than anything. It's like, come on, you're fucking, you're fucking yanking my tail here that was purely thrown in there to either elate you or piss you off uh and then of course it turns out that harry knows how to fly a helicopter yeah he pulls off this fucking maneuver and he like banks and shatters a bunch of windows with the blades uh he cowboys up he says yeah he, fucking, he's like a harry fucking really master cool. pilot harry goes straight edge and is suddenly the coolest motherfucker ever yeah, I don't think I mentioned it when he was talking about his whole uh, I'm not the goblin spiel. He mentioned that uh, he destroyed his stash of goblin green. So Harry is now straight edge. He's super cool. Yeah, Harry. So so like at the end when he uh, a couple of episodes ago, when he like opened up his thing and was like, "Ooh, the goblin green, when we all thought that he was going back as the goblin, <laughs> he actually destro- when, when he, he actually destroyed it. So he wasn't the goblin that whole time. I just had the fucking mental image of that meme pop up of the guy holding up the tube with the green liquid in it. Finally, globulin green. <laughs> Finally, globulin green. <laughs> I'm going to make that and we're going to tweet it later. Happy season finale. <laughs> Let's go. Uh, when uh, when Spidey confronts Minkin at this point, gas suddenly floods the apartment, knocking them both out as the goblin arrives. Uh, what follows is a heated battle above the rooftops of New York as Spider-Man and the Green Goblin go to fucking war with each other. They are beating the fuck out of each other. Did we talk about earlier uh, how the Green Goblin had like a fucking set a bunch of pumpkin bombs at the Osborne penthouse? Yeah, yeah, about when that? It ex- yeah, when it exploded earlier when he made his entrance, yeah. Yeah, it Tons like fucks up. Peter Sue gets fucked up the whole time. It's like, it's an awesome fight. Very, uh, very Raimi mask damage here with the exposed eyeball and everything. Yeah, that or, or old Common Rider episodes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm not as familiar with Common Rider as you are, but I'll, I'll, I'll take your word for that. Oh, we'll, we'll talk. We're, we're going to talk about Common Rider when we get to the Toei Spider-Man stuff. Oh, we for sure are. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the water towers also nearby have been converted into pumpkin bomb cannons and, uh, armed pumpkin headed goons are on the rooftop and in aircrafts 
Spider-Man is absolutely overwhelmed by this onslaught and not able to keep up at all, but eventually does web off the Goblin's mask, which you think would have happened maybe sooner, but maybe Norman wanted it to happen this way. The Green Goblin is, believe it or not, Norman Osborn. Oh my god, who would have thought? He's the least suspicious man in New York City. And like right before that, uh, Harry and Goblin are, are uh, yeah, Goblin yeah. and Peter are fighting each other. And Harry is like, uh, yeah, if, if Mencken's not the Goblin and you're not the Goblin and I'm not the Goblin, then who else knows about the, the Globulin Green? It's mom, the Green Goblin. I, that's so fucking funny to me. I have some trivia about the Osborne mom I'm going to get into later that makes it even funnier. But yeah, that's a was it mom? I literally wrote in my notes, I said, that would be really interesting, but they'd have to do a lot of ass pulling to make it oh, work. Oh, absolutely. That would have felt like such a disappointment. And like when, it, when he says that, she literally walks into the room, too. So it lends it like a little bit of, oh, no, is that actually where they're going with this? I would have laughed my ass off if it was, <laughs> if it was Norman Osborne's wife who was the Green Goblin. But yeah, as 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 you were talking about... um. He's initially confused at this two Norman revelation, but Harry remembers how his father apologized to them earlier. The one thing that Norman Osborn would never do. I think he does like say out loud in an earlier episode of the show that he makes it a point to never apologize. So yeah, um, he said it in the very first episode when he gets yeah, attacked by the yeah. vulture. He's like, I never apologize. Great fucking character moment there. They really Great understand. Callback. The show really understands Norman. And, and, like, he was showing pride in his son in the helicopter, too, so of course it couldn't be the real Norman. Um, and this was the moment right here where I was like, wait, then how are there? And then I'm like, oh, shit, I forgot the chameleon existed. Yeah, he's he's here, uh, and he's in the helicopter, unmasked, but then he just fucking escapes. He just, he just bails, right? Yeah, he's like, fuck this shit, and just jumps out of the helicopter with a parachute he had. See ya, sucker. I didn't sign up. I didn't sign up for this bullshit. He leaves. I don't get to wear the handsome Norman mask anymore. Fuck this. Uh, but yes, uh, back with Spidey, Norman explains that he had been the Green Goblin this entire time, uh, having treated himself with Goblin Green in gaseous form, a la Willem Dafoe, to circumvent the nastier side effects. And then goes on to bring up the events of last October when the Goblin stole the inhibitor from Oscorp. Coincidentally, the chameleon was there that night disguised as Norman in an attempt to steal company secrets for a business rival. All very, very convenient. Norman also took advantage of his son's green addiction as a way to dissuade suspicion towards himself, having dressed an unconscious Harry in like four seconds in the costume that he was wearing that night and breaking his son's fucking leg to give him the limp that Norman faked that evening. Absolutely, absolutely devilish fucking devious man it is so fucking good of course i wasn't fool enough to drink it small doses in gaseous form increased my strength agility intelligence with no blackouts no loss of control and you've been working with chameleon the whole time not at first as goblin i appeared at oscorp to steal my gobweb inhibitor Imagine my pleasure at finding Norman Osborne a witness to my crime. It was Chameleon, of course, stealing Oscorp's secrets for a competitor. So this week, I hired him to keep you guessing and set you up for a fall. But last Halloween, 
You crashed. The goblin crashed. And you saw me limp away. Do you know how easy it is to fake a limp? But Harry wasn't faking. When I found him that night, he was wearing Goblin's costume, and his leg was really hurt. More serendipity. You had guessed my identity. I knew I had to redirect your suspicion, and when I returned home, I found Harry passed out from an overdose of green. It didn't take long to deduce the cause of Harry's sudden success at football and in school. It took only slightly longer to dress him as the Goblin. The limp completed the illusion. <sighs> You framed your own son? I protected Harry. If I'd been sent to prison, who'd have made a man out of him? Uh, it's it's like, it's not the same performance caliber as Defoe's Goblin, but that deviousness, that goddamn, that evil is there. It is so great. I, I am in love with this version of the character a lot more than a lot of the comic tellings of the character. They really like to play up his businessman aspect in the comics a lot. But this is just all around one of the golden examples of how to write Norman Osborn. This motherfucker is he's, ruthless. He's so, he's so evil, and he hates his son so much. He hates. I bet he wishes his son was Spider-Man. Not to be proud of him, but so he could hate him better. I don't know. Well, that's, one of the, that's one of the reasons that I, I love Norman Osborn as a character so much, is because I think I've talked about this many, many times before on the podcast, is where... You know, lots of villains have like these these you know complex motivations for why they do the things that they do. Uh, like you know, uh, Doctor uh, Otto Octavius wants respect. Uh, you know, uh, the lizard he wants to you know have his arm back. All these sort of different things. But Norman Osborn is just evil because he he's evil and he hates his son. He's like I'm fucking evil. I don't give a shit. Yeah, I I completely get that. Um, it's it's so great and they do it so well here it, it's it's just such a solid take it, it's great norman claims that in his defense it was all to protect harry and make him into the man he was meant to be okay all right whatever <laughs> sure why not whatever you say buddy norman charges at spider-man and the the blade on this glider is fucking sick by the way it's like a forked tongue coming out of the, the creature's mouth it's really cool um norman charges at spider-man but spidey snags a pumpkin bomb and stuffs it into the glider's tailpipe uh and the resulting blast causes norman to fly out of control and re and it, this this whole fight scene is paced so quickly it just fucking happens um oh yeah it's just bah, 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 bah. He crashes into one of the pumpkin bomb cannons, also lined with bombs, creating an explosion that, to Harry and Peter, seems to them that it just fucking mutilated, killed, blew him up. He's fucking He gone. just he got Happy evaporated. Night. it. And he then got they, they instantly hard cut to his funeral. Fucking, like, jump cut. It, it, it's, it's, it's really jarring. It, no it's time almost, to breathe, just it's, instant. Almost bad, I would say. Uh, the rest of this episode like, does make up for it, but like fucking smack cut. It's bad. It, as soon as like they're like fighting and they like reveal that it's Norman Osborn, and I checked the uh, the the runtime left on the video that I was watching on my computer, I'm mm -hmm. like, oh shit! They only have so much time left. to wrap this episode up. Like one minute left. I swear to God. It's like, uh, yeah, yeah, it's like it's like when they get to the funeral, there's like literally a minute and 30 seconds left. And it's like, what are they going to do here? 
Norman, and it, he explodes like the fucking Death Star. It's just like bang, 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 bang. There's like little tiny explosions, and then it's just like it fades in, and they're all in front of the grave. And it's like, oh, 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 God, okay. Uh, it's like that was quick. Uh, they're at the funeral. Uh, Peter, Harry, and Gwen paying their respects, with Harry bitterly blaming Spider-Man's inaction for the death of his father. I have nothing left except Spider-Man. Uh. This causes uh, everybody to fear uh, a green relapse for Harry. Uh, who yeah, quickly... Harry, Harry, Harry specifically is like, oh, Gwen, I love you. Like, he's like, obviously, the with the way that he's speaking, being very facetious. Mm-hmm. And Peter oh, and Gwen yeah. can both really tell uh, where he's like, mm, I, I, I feel, I'm so glad I have you. Otherwise, I would relapse into the gob- into the taking the goblin sauce mm-hmm. again. Oh, just absolutely devious. He really is Little he's, Goblin Junior. He it's, really it's he he goes fucking devil mode. Like into he's the like he was always meant to be, Lex. Exactly. He hates now. Well, just as Norman hated uh, Harry, Harry hates Peter now so much that he's going to like keep him and Gwen apart just <laughs> just for the fuck of it. Right. Um. <laughs> but yeah, uh, like as we said, fearing the green relapse, uh, Harry quickly and a little too conveniently turns to Gwen for support, leaving Peter unable to admit his feelings and unable to do anything about this situation. Gwen can't doesn't really have an out with Harry, so they can't be together. Mm-hmm. So leaving Peter single, responsible in his mind for the death of his best friend's father and his mentor, who turned out to be a shitbag. No lab to go to. Well, maybe a lab with Dr. Warren. No girlfriend either, because he broke up with Liz. Uh, yeah, no Liz. Just absolute down on his shit Parker luck. It is a very Spider-Man ending. And I want to say the last thing he says, like out loud in this show, is that the city is safe. And at least there's that. And that just really, really hits, man. It is such such a solid Spider-Man ending. Everything is shit. I have nothing. But the city is safe. So... I can sleep tonight. Uh, at the airport, the Connors are off to start their new life in Florida, uh, or somewhere. Well, they say the plane is going to Miami, I think. Great, yeah, that's where they belong. Nice and temperate. While a stewardess apologizes to a passenger for a delay in his flight to the Grand Cayman, he tells her not to apologize and replies slyly that he never does. It's uh, it's literally was, just it's blonde Norman Osborn with a mustache. <laughs> it's absolutely just like the Silence of the Lambs ending, but like it's, without yeah, a it's phone straight call. Up is. Uh, I love it. It's so fucking great. He just dyed his hair blonde, bought a stupid little fake mustache, and he's like, "Well, I'm going to Miami to do cocaine at a rave." It's it's I love it's, it. It's Norman so- wins. And then the show ends forever. I feel like yep. I feel like Woody at like in Toy Story two when he's watching his own TV show and it yeah. ends on the cliffhanger and he's like, "What? What happens what next? Happens the, what happens to the Roundup Gang? Well, nothing. Are they going to save the Roundup Gang? <laughs> nothing happens. As a matter of fact, it's just over. The show is just over. <laughs> uh, yeah, and and that, ladies and gentlemen, is the spectacular Spider Man. That's that's everything that happens in it. You've been hearing about it for a month now. I'm I'm very I'm very I don't know how to feel about how the fact that my prediction of the show having the most ludicrous cliffhanger ever in the last episode I was absolutely right they had the, the most I, fucking <laughs> ridiculous cliffhanger 
I was I was talking to a friend last night about, you know, uh, catching up on stuff for the podcast. And I said, yeah, I was I just finished up a show and uh, uh, it, it just ended and I feel pretty bad about it. And they were like, oh, was it a cliffhanger? Or did it have a bad ending? And I said, yeah, <laughs> it, it, it did. Yes. Both of those things. <laughs> Because uh, like, and we talked about it at the end of the first season, where that has a really nice. It's a really great ending for the season. It ties everything yeah, up with absolutely. a nice bow, leaves some threads they could pick up on in the second season. And meanwhile, here they just blow their loan. It's like here's all this shit that we can pick up on, and then it just never happens. They got so caught up in trying to give us the ending that they struggled to give us an ending. And yeah. It does so much in so little time that it raises more questions than it answers. Where the fuck is Aunt May? Uh, we we get no Aunt May ending, which sucks. Uh, Aunt, May, Aunt May really isn't in this back half, like, at all. They, she they, shows up a couple times, but not The last a lot. time we see her, I think, she's with a different doctor who isn't her horny doctor. And and she ends up talking to Peter, uh, I think, in one of these more recent episodes about, like, he needs to... He owes it to Liz and Gwen to like make up his mind about the two of them. Yeah, it, it really uh, sucks. Like, that's the last time we ever see her. It really sucks because th- this is a really solid uh, Aunt May we have in this show. And I, they just struggled to find a way to use her after the heart attack arc. Yeah, part of me wants to say that they just kind of like were like, oh, shit, this show's not going to make a third season. I don't know that for certain. Maybe I got my facts wrong and that they 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 thought they were going to have a third season. But part of me yeah. thinks that with all the, sh- the network shuffling and rights management that was going on, they knew they weren't going to get a third season. They're like, let's just try to shove in as much as we can. So it's like most I, I, of the I, shit, most of the shit with all the shit with Miles uh, not getting picked up on uh, Hobgoblin, uh, basically anything that else that Doc Ock was going to do anything it's it's everything is on the table yeah i i do think they were gunning for a third season i have some trivia that briefly discusses that but we'll get to that whenever we're ready to start that uh well i mean we're here at the end of the episode so alex do you want to do you want to talk about the the any fun facts for this television program I do. Yeah, I have. Uh, I, I've been pretty lax on the trivia in the second and third episodes just because, you know, I had some introductory stuff. But a lot of this is pretty comprehensive and deals with, you know, having a working knowledge of the entire show. And I'm glad I didn't look into it too much because there's a lot of spoilers here and there. But I do have yeah. a solid chunk of uh, trivia retrospectively. Um, the original plan for the show was uh, 65 episodes, which is 39 more than we got. Um, they were going to try to map it out a little better in the future. What I have here is that, according to Weissman, uh, the Scorpion, the Hobgoblin, Mr. Negative, Hydro Man, and Carnage were all slated to pe- uh, make first appearances in a third season. Yeah, because I, for- I forgot about Hydro Man and Carnage. Yeah, there was, mm-hmm. there was so much they had left on the table. Roderick Kingsley, Morris Bench, and Cletus Cassidy all had brief cameos in the second season. Uh, Bench would have been voiced by Bill Fagerbaki, who most of us know as Patrick Starr. Uh, as you mentioned, Mac Gargan is also mentioned uh, very, very briefly at the end. And uh, some fans have speculated that background extras could be other characters, but I don't I don't buy into a lot of that type of stuff. Um, yeah. Mrs. Osborne, Emily Osborne, would have had a speaking role in season three. Uh, Wiseman wanted Star Trek's Marina Sirtis for the voice <laughs> of the character. That would have been fun. Yeah, it would have, you know, I'd, why not, right? 
Uh, she, let let the, Marina Sirtis get that bag. The Goblin-S. <laughs> uh, somehow, and I don't know how any of this international shit works, but somehow Canada aired the entire second season before it even began airing in the U.S. Oh my uh, god. So, if you're a Canadian listener, I hope that was a good time for you. Um... Weissman has gone on the record to say that uh, he intended for MJ to ultimately become Peter's main love interest, uh, but he wanted to uh, imitate their romance in the comics and their parallel character development by starting them off with a false romantic lead. Uh, Mark Allen for MJ and Liz and Gwen alternatively for Peter uh, before actively starting an actual relationship with them as time went on. The real question is, were they ever going to kill Gwen? I feel like it's, that would be too hardcore for a kid's show. I, that is actually one of my next pieces of trivia. I just wanted to have it on the record first that I don't have a favorite uh, girlfriend for Peter. A lot of, That's a debate a lot of nerds like to have just because polyamorous king Peter Parker pulls, you know? But uh, A lot of nerds with nothing better to do having arguments about that shit. I don't have a favorite girlfriend for Peter. I recognize that all of them bring different things to the table. They bring different things to his life, and they're all very different people who serve very different roles in his life. With that Let's said, let Peter hook up with Betty Brant. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, I don't have a proclivity towards MJ, but I don't know. It does feel right for this character. Maybe eventually after they figured out Gwen, but with that said about Gwen, uh, Weissman has also gone on the record to say that he had no plans whatsoever to kill Gwen during the course of this show and further admitted to being disturbed by fan comments and comments from other co-workers about when he was, quote, gonna kill her, when he <laughs> noted that the nature of a children's superhero show precluded that kind of content. He has also... <laughs> when are they gonna kill this 14-year-old? <laughs> when are you gonna do it, Greg? Uh, never. <laughs> um... He admitted that were the show successful enough to create uh, possible home movie tie-ins like uh, Batman Beyond's Return of the Joker, that kind of thing, he would have gunned for a PG-13 content rating, but at the same time has always been adamant that he never intended to kill this version of Gwen. Huge respect there. Uh, yeah, I really I like mean... this version of Gwen, and it's really refreshing to have an arc that isn't just dangling her in a noose in front of us like Amazing Spider-Man 2 was. And and that's that's one of the things that that's it, kind of hard to to it's hard to have Gwen in anything where she's not uh, where she doesn't have spider powers because yeah. every everyone knows Gwen Stacy as Spider Man's girlfriend who dies. Yeah. So it would it would be interesting to have them just you know kind of break up and drift apart as people uh, and not have her her be another list on Peter's you know number of things to be guilty about. Exactly. Yeah, it's it was great to see her be a living, breathing, acting like part of the puzzle for the majority of the show. And now that just makes me upset that we never got a PG-13 television movie of this program. You know, we've had this conversation already about whether or not they should bring this show back. But honestly, I think that'd be a great route would be uh, like a cap off movie, like have some time have passed in universe and and do like a a college movie or something. That'd be that would be fun. Totally an idea. It would be fun and it would be better than having it be a revival series. Because if they did a revival yeah. series, it would just lead for people to be like, oh, another season, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, exactly. If they just did like a movie, it'd be like, all right, cool. We got everything. 
And that's 90 fucking minutes of content you've got there. That's like four episodes. You know, that's that's not nothing. That's that's pretty yeah. much like a third of a season right there. Exactly. Uh, it's an idea. I think they could do something with that. Uh, I think they're on like the fourth season of the current Spider-Man cartoon they're doing. I know nothing about it. I know people don't love it. There's there's been like eight Spider-Man cartoons in between uh, spectacular and now. I know lots of people like the new one that's out now. He's at like a, a high like a sciency high school, but it's like a super advanced sciency high school, uh, and people are having uh, complaining a lot in the same way that they complain about the. Uh, the Tom Holland movies where it's like, it's too much technology. And it's like, I I haven't watched the show, so I have no idea, but uh, who knows? It's, it's, it's something, it's something that we're, we're going to be hearing about for like ever. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Just a couple bits of extra trivia here. Uh, We've talked about voice actors reprising stuff from, you know, previous parts of content. I don't know if I specifically mentioned or not that D. Bradley Baker was the lizard as in this show, as well as the first Activision Spider-Man game. But Mm -hmm. uh, past that, Bill Fogerbaki, who, as I mentioned earlier, voices uh, the pre just the Morris Bench that shows up in this show. He voiced Hydro Man in uh, The Amazing Adventures of Spider-Man. So that's. Oh, hey. So, hey, you want to do Hydro Man again, but not really? It's just, uh, I don't know. I love little things like that. It, it just makes the world feel a little more together. Well, that'll be fun when we, when we talk about that later on. Uh, past that, the final voicing trivia I think I have here. Uh, Greg Weissman is the voice of Minkin. I don't know if we ever pointed that out or not in our little... like. Yeah, I, 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 I never I never even pointed... No, I never noticed that or, or pointed that out. Yeah, that's, that's, that's Weissman fun. himself as, as Mr. Forgettable. Uh, there was an advertised contest to have your school appear in a future episode of the show. I don't know who won. I just know this existed, and it appears in the episode Gangland, supposedly. So huh. I get, I get, maybe, maybe, maybe it might have been. Uh, maybe it was like they list off another school. Uh, yeah. Maybe it where... was like during the trophy thing or something, and they made you mention. That, that's, that's what I was. That's what I was trying to get to. I just couldn't get the words out right. Or maybe it's those yeah. uh, those two kids that we never mentioned uh, in the Gangland episode that are like running around and like almost get crushed by that chandelier. It's almost assuredly something like that. But that that would have been a fun thing to do as a kid. That's yeah. I love the the idea of that kind of shit. Uh, the original plan for the show, with you know everything else we've mentioned, was to create extra material for each episode and then use it to edit each story arc into a movie for the DVD releases. Uh, only the first arc was released like this before Sony switched to just plain episodes. So there is a little bit of extra footage that we haven't seen, you and I, that exists for the first season. And there's yeah. a ton that nobody will ever see. Oh so, my god, you Sony, you fuckers! That, so that movie idea has kicked around in someone's head regarding this specific you Sons of idea. bitches! Just a couple things left here. Um, Silvermane and Silver Sable, Weissman has admitted, are only related in the show because they both have silver in their names. <laughs> and I fucking love that. Like we've talked about with everything, with like Montana being the shocker, uh, with, uh, Fancy Dan becoming Ricochet. I, I, I don't give a shit. Who, who, who cares enough about Silver Sable and Silvermane to go, what, they're not related in the comics? Who cares? They're related now. It works, whatever, who cares? The final piece of trivia I have is less trivia and just something I read that struck me as really funny. I have no way to, like, measure the veracity of this statement, but according to TV Tropes, uh, a large chunk of this fa- the fan base of this show refers to this show as Bitches Love Spider-Man, the animated series. 
who the fuck says that? I mean, it's true. I do now. But <laughs> sure, bitches love... Sp- I mean, yeah. I mean, I already talked about a couple episodes ago where it's like the whole... I don't remember what episode it was, but the whole problem of that episode where the Peter pulls too much. Uh, yeah, bitches love Spider-Man. Yeah, it's... Uh, that's the only way I'm going to call this show from now on. That's its official name. I gotta, yes, I gotta that, change all the fucking art and titles of the episodes. <laughs> that concludes my trivia for the spectacular Spider-Man. All right, uh, I guess we can go on to the uh, our, our sort of overall thoughts for this show uh, in general. I guess now that we've gotten everything done, mm-hmm. uh, I guess I'll go first. Uh, this show, I I had its pro- I had my problems with this show, especially sort of in that that in this particularly this back half with how rushed the final episode is, despite how insane it is and how much I kind of loved it. Uh, and kind of how it felt like some of the plot points were kind of meandering. didn't really go anywhere. Uh, my favorite episode of the show still probably is, uh, I think episode 12 of season one, the one where he gets rid of the symbiote and they have the big uncle Ben flashback. Uh, but overall this kind of lived up to the hype. This was a really, really good show, and I'm glad I was finally able to to sit down and and watch it. Uh, mm-hmm. the, all the the writing is incredibly tight, uh, except for those slip ups I already talked about. Uh, the acting is really good across the board. Uh, I'm going to say this a lot. It just gets the character. It understands what Spider Man is about, and uh, I'm not going to turn into one of those guys that like demands a revival series, but maybe that movie. Yeah, I um I like you said, uh the characterization is first and foremost just hot here. It it is it is on fire. It is so perfect. It uh it really captures the things that make Peter Peter and the things that make Spider-Man Spider-Man without wearing out their welcome for each because it's super easy for a story to get too quippy, too jokey, too Parker lucky. It, it's uh it's really easy to to hit all the hallmarks correctly, but still have a a product that doesn't work as a good piece of Spider-Man media. We've seen plenty of those. Um, It, uh, it definitely earns the hype that's around it. I I, I will say that in complete fairness, having seen all of it now, there's a ton of hype around the show and I was apprehensive to get into it because of that hype, but no, it's, it's solid. And I completely agree that it doesn't need to be you know, necroed and paraded around as, hey, look, we brought back Spy- Spectacular Spider-Man. But I do like the idea of of them revisiting it with like a, a cap off movie one day. That's it's definitely a solid idea. Um, it it presented versions of villains that were very, very familiar with, but with with new new lenses to them that that gave depth that there wasn't in before. Uh, they really, you know, did their best with the Raimi Sandman and the, and the heel turn that follows with him. But I loved this version of the Sandman. Uh, I loved seeing, uh, I loved seeing Hammerhead claw his way up and try to, you know, usurp the throne of crime himself. There's motivations and, and forces driving these characters beyond. I'm going to rob the bank. I'm going to take this armored car. There, there is so much to this show that it uh, it absolutely, I think, transcends being a children's Spider-Man show. It's it's just a solid watch. Uh, probably not if you're not a Spider-Man fan, but if you are, 
there is a lot in this show for you. And if you're not a Spider-Man fan, why the fuck are you listening to this podcast outside of maybe being my pal? Um, yeah, it's it's a uh, the show is mostly roses, a uh, handful of thorns. But honestly, at the end of the day, it's 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 spectacular. Uh, pun fully intended. I fucking love this show. Uh, I wish it had more room to breathe, especially in this really heavy back half. But um, I don't have a ton of complaints. I I think this has my favorite version of a handful of these characters, specifically Dr. Connors. I'm, I'm big into here. Um, it does a lot of things right. It, it does more right than it does wrong. And at the end of the day, that's all you can hope for from a Spider-Man piece. Absolutely. I, I, I fully, fully agree with everything you've said. And I cannot uh, recommend this show enough. Absolutely. Uh, if you can, you know, the, the people are selling like there's old DVD copies of this show. Fucking torrent it. Do what you got to do to watch the show. Uh, don't be one of those weird assholes that constantly like subtweets uh, corporations demanding product. Uh, <laughs> get a life. Uh, but get a life. Sh- <laughs> get a life. <laughs> It's really great to show contempt for your audience. Uh, it's great. I love doing it. It's one of my favorite things. Uh, this show is good. It's very, very good. Uh, we don't have any letters. So, yeah, that's our show. Thank you so much for listening. If you've got a question or a comment that you want us to read on next week's episode, be sure to send it to us at our email address, spottysignalspodcast at gmail.com. Or you can send us a DM on our Twitter. At Spidey Signals, please, I beg you. Uh, <laughs> next week, episode six, we are finally going to have our first guest of the season. We're <laughs> moving on to something else that's not a television program. Uh, we're going to be talking about Craven's Last Hunt uh, with one of my very good friends, uh, Lumber Jackson. So until then, stay responsible. Oh, bye. Later, sucker. Fuck you! <laughs>